You may be seated as we read the scripture for today from 1 John 2, verses 18 to 27. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one knows who denies the Son Sorry, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as, is his, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Thank you, Gina. And thank you to you for leaning in on worship so far. Welcome to Sunday. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to those who are joining us online. Uh, I'm excited for today. I'm excited for what God has in store. But before we jump into our teaching, I just want to do a quick announcement about Christmas Eve. Yes, Christmas is coming. And so I want to give a little heads up. More information is going to be coming here in the next few weeks about what Christmas is going to look like. But I just wanted to read a quick update to you so that you kind of know what to expect in the lead up to our Christmas Eve services this year. So... We are so excited because we're going to be having one service in this room, and it's going to be a family-oriented service. We're so excited for your kids to come on up on stage throughout the service in an interactive way to participate, to sing songs, to be a part of a Christmas story reading, and we're so excited to just be in a family atmosphere together on Christmas Eve. And so we encourage you families, you know, kids, if they're able to be in the service and to participate and join us in this with that, one of our hopes is that we want to be a place where every family is seen and safe and has access to worship and community without any barriers put up in the way, whether they're conscious or unconscious, to every family having the opportunity to participate in Christmas Eve. See, our desire is that all families would be able to participate, and we recognize that for some families and for some kids, that's just not possible for, for a variety of reasons. And so this year we want to be strategic and we want to make room for those that sometimes are forgotten and overlooked when it comes to being able to participate in a service. And so here's what we're going to do. On Christmas Eve, we're going to have the nursery available so you can take your kids that are nursery age down to the nursery and our kids team will take care of them for the service. So families, parents, you can participate. We're also going to be setting up an engaging separate space that our kids team will overlook for kids who need it so parents and kids alike can participate and enjoy Christmas. Who is that room for? 
Well, we recognize that there are sometimes barriers that get in the way of children being able to sit through a service. So this separate space we're creating is for any child that has a particularly challenging time sitting through an entire service for a variety of different reasons. And so if you're a family that has a child that this is unable, unable to sit through our service, you can scan the QR code behind me or go to centralheights.ca kids to register your child for that space. Just fill the, the short form and, and, and sign up on time. Whether you are signing a child up for nursery or for our other space, make sure you go and sign them up. Space is limited. Space is limited. And so make sure you take some time to go register and reserve your spot. Here's what we need from you, church. We need you to help us make room for the kids that sometimes get overlooked and forgotten. We need you to help families be able to participate in a way that they sometimes are not able to when we don't have childcare available. See, we want to be a place, we talk about this all the time, that makes room for the people that sometimes get forgotten and overlooked. We want to be a place that makes room for the people that no one else makes room for. And so we need your help to make that happen. We know it's going to be a sacrifice. We know that there's only one service, and then you can jump online and watch it afterwards on our live stream. But we need your help. We need, Laurel needs your help down there. And so I encourage you, if you have a heart, that this place would become the kind of place where everybody is welcomed, where we actually are taking down the barriers that are getting in the way of people worshiping, If you want to be that kind of place, then we need your help, and we need you to go to the website and sign up to be a part of the kids' team on Christmas Eve. Criminal criminal record checks are needed, so make sure that you keep that in mind and get that uh, taken care of if you want to serve. So I just want to say thank you, church. Thank you, church, for trying to be a place that wants to make room for the people that no one else makes room for. I appreciate you, and I thank you for your partnership in that. That's the announcement about Christmas Eve. We'll have more information coming your way about that. But for now, let's pray before we jump in to our teaching today. Jesus, we love you. We invite you and your presence to come into this room. We pray that the scriptures would come alive to us and that you would help us to know you better and be filled with the desire to follow you from this time that we spend together. Come now, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we are in a series in what's called 1 John. It's a letter that we've been tracking through all fall, and it's a letter about a God of holy love and the people who are loving him and seeking to follow him amidst a world with all its temptations and struggles and pressures that come and press themselves in on us. And last week, Nathan did a really great job of unpacking for us what the author John wrote about what does it look like for the church to have a posture towards the world and its value system? How do we live in light of the world around us while also not disengaging from it? Nathan did a great job of unpacking that for us last week. And today, John, the author, is going to kind of continue along those lines, but he's going to take it from a different angle. And he's got an urgency in this text that we've written that maybe he hasn't had before in his letter. And this urgency can be felt right away as we pick up today's teaching in verse 18 with these words. Read them again. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. 
And so John's urgency comes from the fact that this is the last hour, meaning we are living in a time where the end of all things is drawing nearer and nearer every single day. Jesus has come. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb, came back to life three days. He's gone back to heaven, and very soon, someday soon, he is coming back to set all things right. And when he comes back, he is going to take the cosmos and he's going to transform it into something new and beautiful. All of creation is going to be renewed. Space and time, everything is going to be renewed. Justice will come finally and fully. Death will die and those who believe in Jesus will live with him forever in God's new world. This is the future that awaits God's people. And it could come at any moment. It could come at any moment. And John, he wants us to recognize this and live accordingly in light of that, in this time between Jesus' first and second coming, the last hour. The last hour. Now, for us, this idea of it being the last hour maybe doesn't have the same amount of force that it would if we were alive and following Jesus in the first century. See, if you were alive during the first century and you were following Jesus, this idea of it being the last hour, it was in the air. It was on your lips in conversation in a way that it really isn't today. See, there was this atmosphere uh, that thought about and breathed and lived the idea that it was the last hour. So much so that the early church viewed the Jesus event as affecting not just human lives, but history itself. That the moment that God stepped out of heaven and became human in the person of Jesus, they saw that as the pivotal and decisive moment in history. A sign and a signal that a new age had begun and God was acting to rescue and redeem the world that he created just as he had promised he would. And in this The problem that separates humanity from a holy God was dealt with by Jesus, and the course of history was altered forever. And Jesus himself, he signaled that this new age had come with his arrival and his activity. When he began his public ministry at the age of 30, he came out of obscurity, and he shows up on the scene, and Mark, one of the gospel writers, tells us that the words out of Jesus' mouth that he says on that first moment were these. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, with these words, what Jesus was saying was that the decisive event in history was here. God had come near. God had come close to rescue humanity and to redeem the world. The king has brought his rule and his reign to earth, and everybody, everyone is invited to join in. Everyone is invited to join in. doesn't matter your story, your situation, your standing in the world. doesn't matter what that is. All you need to do is turn from whatever it is you are trying to build your life on to Jesus and start following him. And you will enter into a relationship with the king of an inbreaking kingdom of power and justice and peace and holy love. By saying this, Jesus would have had everybody's attention. Their ears would have perked up. They would have leaned in because generation after generation of Jewish people had carried this hope, waiting for the day that God would act again in a mighty way to rescue his people just like he had done for them when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. See, right now our kids are obsessed with Christmas. Obsessed. Like, it's like this internal clock turns on inside them about mid-November and they're like, ooh, Christmas is coming. 
And they get so excited, and every day they're coming to my wife and I, and they're asking, how many days until Christmas, Daddy? How many days until Christmas, Mommy? It's like this routine that they go through. They know that something really special is coming, and they're counting the days down until it actually arrives. And the Jewish people, they were the same. They were counting down the days until God's chosen one, the Messiah, was going to come. But they had been counting down the days for 400 years. They've been waiting a long time, waiting for God's Messiah to appear. And now in Jesus, the moment had arrived. Hope had become a flesh and bones reality in the person of Jesus. It was a sign that God's promise was being fulfilled and a new age was dawning. And from that point on, history was never, been, was never the same. It has never been the same from that point on. It's been set on a new trajectory with a glorious future in store for those who follow Jesus and new possibilities in the present. This was the first century atmosphere. It was pregnant with expectancy, pregnant with hope and, and waiting and, and this excitement for what was happening in history. They saw history as having a new urgency because Jesus had come. And they lived like it. They lived like it. And we, we've lost that today. We've lost that today, even though we're in the last hour too. We've lost that same atmosphere, that same sense of urgency, that same hunger and expectancy for God and what he's going to do. And so we need to hear John's voice in the first verses of our text today crying out, you're living in the last hour. Jesus has come and everything is different. A kingdom of power and peace and justice that cannot be shaken and cannot be stopped has broken in and there's a new urgency to the time we live in now. The time is short and the need is great. It's not time to fall asleep. It's not time to put your head in the sand. It's not time to get apathetic or be lukewarm. The time is short and the need is great. There are people who are so far from God who need to be brought home to Jesus. There are people wandering around in darkness who need to experience the light of God. There are people who are overlooked and forgotten and they need to be seen and loved and brought into community. There is injustice that needs to be confronted and cities that need to experience renewal, a mission. We've been given a mission to take the news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. This is the last hour. It's a time of great hope and great possibilities and great urgency because of the mission and the time that we live in and what we've received from God. And John says, all this is true, and it's the time of opposition and deception. The light of heaven has come, and it is already shining, but darkness is still present and active. And John wants us to see this. So he begins with the last hour, and then he turns to start talking about this group of people that he calls the Antichrist, which is his way of talking about people who are against Jesus and actively hostile to his way. They're people who have taken a stance against Jesus and said, no thank you, and all that he stands for and all the good and beautiful things that he is trying to do, and they are actively trying to oppose that in the world. And apparently, there's a group of people like this hovering around the churches that John was pastoring. And they were teaching a version of Jesus that wasn't true. And that leads John to call them liars. Verse 22 says, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. 
So John has referred to this group of people multiple times throughout his letter so far, but here he kind of pulls back the veil and he reveals to us the core belief and the message that they carried and that they were trying to bring to the churches, and that leads him to call them antichrists and liars. He says they deny the historical reality of the incarnation. They don't don't believe that Jesus was God and that he became human and then he lived among us. They don't believe that he was the Messiah, that he was God's chosen one that God said would come and rescue his people. They denied this flat out. And then they weren't content to just deny it, but they were bringing this teaching into the churches John was pastoring. And they're trying to call people to their way, trying to bring them back into the, this, this way of thinking and this way of life. And so John, as a good pastor, he calls them out for it. He calls them liars and antichrists. We might hear those words as, as harsh, but we have to remember that John's, John's a spiritual father. He sees the churches that he's pastoring and the people a part of them as his spiritual children. And he, he's looking out for them. He loves them and he wants good for them. And so he warns them, telling them in verse 26, these people are trying to lead you astray. Watch out for them. Don't listen to them. Be careful. In the last hour, Jesus taught that this was something that we have to be aware of, that we should actually expect this, saying in Matthew 24 that many false prophets will appear and deceive many people before he came back. Another follower of Jesus named Paul, he wrote this, saying, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Those are some prophetic words from Paul and Jesus, aren't they? Looking ahead to our day where we've moved away from a theocentric view of life and a life anchored in the truth of God, a day where we have so many people who are being led by their disordered desires and are being deceived and turning aside from Jesus' way. You see, you don't have to look very far in today's day and age to find deceptive teaching. We have access to more teaching through the through media and technology than we've ever had in history. And you don't have to look very far to find false teachers or deceptive teaching, things that don't line up with God's truth and God's way. It's at our fingertips and more accessible than ever. And the thing is, the thing is, nobody starts out wanting to be led astray. Nobody begins a journey saying, I want to be led astray, and then takes that journey. No, this is the power of deception and that lies have. So when I was in college, I played collegiate hockey, and uh, a lot of big acts would come to town, like big bands like U2, the Rolling Stones, Foo Fighters, like big world-famous bands would come to town, and they would play in our city. And during the height of her fame, Britney Spears came to town. We're talking about the time when she was at the worldwide sensation, and, and it was a big deal that she was coming to Omaha, Nebraska, And so my teammate and I, we decided for fun that we were going to play a prank on our teammates. Because that's what you do as a hockey hockey team, is you play pranks on one another. It's a way you build camaraderie and you have fun at each other's expense. And so we came up with this story, and this was our story. We came up with this story that the manager for Britney Spears had called our coach and said, Britney and her backup dancers are going to come into town the day before the concert, and I want one of your hockey players to show them around town, and that my coach had given me that really hard task. That was the story that we came up with, and and we wanted to make it credible, and so we covered our bases, and we talked to our coach, who backed us up, so that when guys went to ask him, is this really true? 
he would say, it's absolutely true. And so we got our coach, and then we did all that. We dropped the story casually in a conversation, and it lit off a firestorm on our team because they bought it hook, line, and sinker. They did. They were coming up to me that entire week telling me, this is why I should go on this date with you. They were bribing me. They were throwing each other under the bus. It was incredible the lengths that these guys were going to go to 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 harm each other and to win this coveted place with me on this imagined tour of, of Omaha, Nebraska. It was insane. And for that week, I was by far the most popular guy on the team. And then we told them the truth because we couldn't stretch it out any longer. The day was there, and then I became the most unpopular so fast. <laughs> you know, and I look back, I still can't believe they bought that story because it's a crazy story. I mean, why would Britney Spears want a hockey player to show her around Omaha, Nebraska? There's nothing to see in Nebraska. I love you, Nebraska. You're amazing, but... Lies, even small ones, have power. They can deceive you. They play to our disordered desires, and over time they affect our view of God and ourselves. They damage how we view and respond to others. They shape how we think and see the world around us. They shape who we become and what we live for. Lies, even small ones, have great power. And John is aware of that, and so he's... crying out to the church, and we need to heed his warning so that we can live well in the last hour, so that we can be anchored in Jesus and his teaching and living in his way and knowing what is true and what is false and not being led astray. And so here are John's two concerns. This is the last hour. Don't be led astray. Why? Because the time is short and the hour is urgent. And I've been thinking a lot about this as I've sat with this teaching, and this question came up for me, and I'm going to put it before you now. Do I have a level of urgency for the things of Jesus like John does? Do I have the level of urgency for the things of Jesus like John does? For me, the answer, sadly, is no, that there's a, not all the time. Like, there are times where I just feel intensely passionate about the things of Jesus. I'm pushing into it. I feel the urgency. I want to see lost people saved. And then there's time where I'm just kind of lukewarm and going, yeah, you know what? Life's hard right now, so I'm just going to take a back seat. What about you? How's your sense of urgency today? Is it white hot? Is it cold? Is it lukewarm? See, I don't know what it is for you, but something that I've noticed in the Western world and in the Western church is that we don't have the level of urgency that we should. We don't. We've lost our urgency for Jesus and his cause because we've gotten way too comfortable. See, we're much better at doing church than actually being the church. And we can choose to live that way. We can. But Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, I want him to find me fully alive to him and to the greater things that he has said are most important. I don't want him to find me lukewarm or asleep or with my head in the sand. I want him to find this church, the church of Jesus, alive to him and his cause in the world, living with an urgency because they know the time is short and the need is great. And they want as many people as possible to meet the king and come into his kingdom. That's what I want. And John is like, church, this is what I want for you too. 
So he starts with a warning, but more importantly, he reminds us there's a way to live with urgency and passion and stand firm against deception and darkness in the last hour, and that way has to do with something he calls an anointing. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. So this is John's way of giving confidence to a Jesus follower. In the face of all the beauty and brokenness of the last hour, John is saying that there is a way to stay the course with Jesus until the very end. And notice, it's not a strategy, and it's not a religious formula, but it is an anointing from the holy God, meaning that this is a supernatural thing. This is not something that you and I conjure up. It's not something that you and I do. It is something that God does in us and for us and through us, and it doesn't start with you or I. It starts with the Holy One, a holy God, a God who's at the core of his being is holy. He's distinctly other, pure, without any imperfection or blemish. See, the God of the Bible, the God that we're singing about, the God that we're in the presence of today is a being without the slightest attribute or action that is anything less than absolute best. Author A.W. Tozer explains it like this, holiness is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity. So the God we're talking about is so holy that when he comes into a burning bush before a man named Moses, the ground that he is on becomes holy. The God that we're talking about is so holy that when a prophet of God named Isaiah has a vision of a throne room, there's these angelic beings flying around that throne, and they're singing to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. One holy doesn't do it. Two holy doesn't do it. It takes three holies to capture what the Bible calls completeness, three things, holy, holy, holy. That's how holy this God is. And it's this God who left heaven and came to earth as Jesus. Meaning Jesus was supremely holy yet deeply human at the very same time. In the stories about him called the Gospels, people called him the Holy One of God. And so here, when John is talking about an anointing from the Holy One, he's actually talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Holy One who anoints those who believe in him. And I love this word anointing. It's an ancient word that the Bible used to describe the use of oil to anoint and consecrate kings and priests. See, when a, when a king or priest was anointed, it symbolized that the Spirit of God was coming and resting upon them and empowering them for the assignment and the task that they were being given. But now, on the other side of the empty tomb, this idea of anointing takes on a much deeper, much richer, more powerful meaning because now anointing is referring to the spirit of Jesus coming and living inside those who believe in Jesus through faith. So that means through faith in Jesus, you are an anointed one. That the person and the presence and the power of Jesus lives in you through the Holy Spirit, meaning if you're here today and you've put your trust in Jesus and you have committed to follow him, this anointing is yours. It's been given to you already by God. The spirit of Jesus lives inside of you. 
You, and you have what you need to live for God in the last hour. So this is deeper than a set of practices. It's deeper than a mental ascent to a theological grid or framework. Those are good things, but that's not enough. We need something deeper, and God has provided that in the person of Jesus living in you through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, you have what you need to live well in the last hour. You do. And that's why John, in the original language, he uses language that's past tense to talk about something that's very real in the present. He's telling them, hey, church, you've experienced something in the past that helps you in the present. You've already received this anointing. It's already yours. And because you have this, you have what you need to live for Jesus. And I today want to do the same thing for you. I want to remind you of what you've received by faith, and I want to help others who maybe are on the fence or maybe haven't figured out what they believe to be true about Jesus, but about what is available to you should you say, I want to trust and follow Jesus. So here's what you have. If you have the Spirit, if you've been anointed, this is what you have. And just, Shamron, hold off on putting that slide up with all the things until the end. You have direct access to God. Because the Spirit of God lives in you, you have what you need to know, the God of the universe. You have what you need to know what he wants and then go do it. God has invaded your life. He's made your heart his home. He is closer than you can imagine. And the way is open for you to know him personally. Because the Spirit of God lives in you, you have direct access to God. You also have a teacher. John says you don't need the false teachers to teach you. You don't need to go through someone else in order to get the kind of teaching that teaches you about the best way to live your life. You have a greater teacher living in you, the Spirit of God. Back when he was on earth, Jesus spoke about this in several places, saying in John 14, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then flip the chapter over, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Both John and Jesus are saying that in the midst of all the deceptive and the false teaching coming our way, we have a teacher that we can trust, the spirit of truth, who will teach you about Jesus, who is obsessed with Jesus, who wants you to know Jesus and wants you to know his teaching, and he will guide you into that. You have this resource living inside of you, and it's a resource that you can trust. And you put that great teacher living in you alongside this community of God's people that you need. Wise teachers. John's not saying we don't need wise teachers and we don't need the people of God. He's saying you add the spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. Put that person into a room with other people who are filled with the spirit of truth as that person submits themselves and humbly listens to wise teacher. Then you have the teaching that you need to stay the course. To hold fast to God's way and to discern what is true from what is false. You are not alone. See, I love this one. Jesus promised that there is not a breath we take, a single moment that you or I face in this life where we are ever truly alone because he lives in you by the Spirit. What did he say? Last words in the Gospel of Matthew before he went back to heaven to be with the Father. Uh, He said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You are never truly alone because of the anointing you have received. Jesus is always with you. 
You are holy and blameless in God's sight because of Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees someone he loves, a holy person, someone without any mark against him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a gift. You have a promise. You have the promise of eternal life, which is both an endless life with God in his new heavens and new earth and the very life of God living inside you right here and right now and able to be experienced. John says it right here in verse 25. God promised eternal life to us and the spirit of God living inside you is the guarantee that you will experience the life of eternity in the future and in the present. So here's what is so awesome is you don't have to wait for the world to come to experience eternity. You can actually experience it right here, right now when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And finally, you have a power and a purpose. See, right before Jesus returned to heaven, he said these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, that Greek word for power is dynamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. And what Jesus is saying is that you will be given an explosive power to continue my mission in the world. In other words, you have been anointed and you have been set apart for a holy purpose. And you've been given the explosive power to actually go and live that purpose out in the world today. When the Spirit lives in you, you have the potential to be as explosive for the kingdom of God as the early followers of Jesus were. And in John 14, this is crazy, Jesus went so far to say that when the Spirit comes and lives inside people, they will do greater things than him. Think about that. What did Jesus do? He raised the dead. He healed diseases. He cast out demons. He calmed storms with his voice. Yes, he was God, but he is actually saying that when the Spirit comes and lives inside you, you can do those things he did, and you can do the same and more. We can actually do more than what Jesus did because the Spirit lives inside of us. Why? Because the anointing you have received. Do you see, Sham, can you put that thing up with the list of all of them? Do you see what's available to you? Do you see what you have been anointed with? What you have access to? Do you understand how much you've been given to navigate the last hour, to live the life that you have been saved into by Jesus? It's incredible. And here's my question, then why don't we see the church living as if this is actually true? Why is there a gap between what we see from the early followers of Jesus and what we see today? See, I think it's because we settle for less when more is offered us. Have you ever noticed how when you have cookies for kids, they always want one more? They're never satisfied with what they have. You open up the pack of cookies, you give them one, they immediately put their hand on and go, can I have one more? And then you give them a second one, and they're like, can I have one more? They always want more. I think the church needs to capture the posture of a child. And we need to come to God and go, can I have more? Thank you, Father. Can I have more? Thank you, Father. Can I have more? See, if we stop asking, 
If we settle for where we are, we will not experience the life wants to sorry, <laughs> the life God wants to give us, and we won't be the kind of community He wants us to be. I'm reading this book. It's called The Pursuit of the Divine. Amazing books. The author, Simon Ponsonby, writes this. Somewhere along the line, we have forgotten our vocation to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Jesus said it is part of the church's role through conforming to him and conveying him to the world to be a sanctifying, salting influence in society. We cannot influence or infect society with something that has not yet infected us. A saltless salt cannot savor and flavor. The church cannot light a fire if she is not on fire. We need a reformation, a revival, and holiness will be at the heart of it. The church must again find and follow Jesus, not as a doctrine to be believed, but as the Lord to be served and a life to be lived. Only then can we speak with integrity and expect to be heard. When we forget our vocation and we lose the desire for more, we inevitably settle for less. And we have less impact than we were designed to have. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to make an impact for the things that matter. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be lived in the power of the Spirit. And I want to be someone who does the things that Jesus did and more. I want to be someone like that. I don't know about you. So what do you have to do to close the gap? First, you have to acknowledge that it's there. And you need to repent. This is what I've been doing this week as I prepared for this. Father, forgive me for my self-reliance. Forgive me for the ways that I rely on myself more than I rely on you. First, you have to actually acknowledge the gaps there and desire it to close. Then you have to surrender. You have to open your hands and unclench your fists and turn your life over. It's going to take deep humility. It's going to take letting go of control. It's going to take opening up your lives and letting God have more of you than you've ever given him before so that you can access the power of God. To live a supernatural life begins with surrender. And then John says, finally, it takes one more thing. We need to remain. He says we need to remain in the message that we have heard from the beginning and we need to remain in him, talking about Jesus and the Spirit. To remain is to make Jesus and his teaching your home, your anchor, your foundation. We don't graduate from this, and there are no shortcuts to it. You can't get around it, no matter how hard you try to rationalize it. If you want the power of God, and if you want the life of God, and you want to live a spirit-filled life every hour of every week, you need to stay close to Jesus, and you need to listen to his voice through the scriptures. Knowing him and listening to his voice is at the core of what it means to live well in the last hour. And so John says, remain in him. Remain in his teaching and give yourself to the Holy Spirit. That's how you live well in the last hour. So, do you want the power of God in your life? Do you want to experience the promise of eternal life and enjoy that in the here and now? Do you want to live a life that's explosive for the kingdom? Then need a fresh anointing. You need the Spirit to come again and fill you again. And so I'm going to invite the, the uh, worship team up and I'm going to call the prayer teams up. And we're going to spend time responding to what we've heard today, asking the Spirit to fill us afresh. And so I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask God to send a fresh anointing into this room.
to enable us to live the life that Jesus saved us into. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence in this room. We acknowledge you're here. And we want more of you than we currently have. We don't want to settle. We don't want to just taste a little bit of the life that Jesus died to give us. We want as much as humanly possible. And so I pray for every person in this room, whether they are following you or not, that they would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit right here, right now, in this room. I say, come Holy Spirit. Bring fresh fire. Bring fresh wind. Renew us, restore us, and empower us once again with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We surrender ourselves to you and ask that you would make us into people in a church that is anointed with the Spirit and lives the Spirit-filled life every hour of every week. In Jesus' name.